All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we're here, you know, with our brother, Abdul Muhammad. Now, you got to hear his story because, you know, it was really messed up what happened to our brother here. Um, you was a principal, correct, yes, at, at the school in Chicago? Yes, sir. Uh, Math and Science Academy in Chicago. Okay. So, tell us the story, what happened. Okay. So, brother uh, Phil, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. And uh, what happened with me, I've been an educator uh, for 29 years, 25 years of that has been in Chicago public schools. I've been in some of the most challenging environments in the city of Chicago, serving uh, our children and in a lot of those environments, mainly black children. And this year, uh, or I should say last year, 2022, I was selected by the uh, black LSC because Limbloom is, is a black school, 75% black. It's in a black community, it's in Inglewood uh, in Chicago. And the LSC selected me to be the principal of Limbloom. Limbloom is one of the top schools in Chicago and one of the top schools in the states. It's ranked number eight in the city, if I remember correctly, and number 22 in the state. So this is one of the top schools in Chicago. Uh, there were people in Chicago public schools when they found out that the LSC selected me to be the principal. There were people within Chicago public schools. Uh, one, his name is uh, Devin LaRosa. He was my network chief. He had a problem with them selecting me to be the principal. And uh, another lady named Latasha Williams Ford. Uh, these were some of the people who we know because we have testimony from the actual LSC members. When they selected me as the principal, they wanted the LSC to start the selection process all over again. And the reason that they wanted them to start the process all over again is because of my religion, because I'm a Muslim, because I'm a member of the Nation of Islam. So there were there were calls. There was pressure being put on the on the LSC members uh, to start this process over again. Uh, they stood strong. They made their selection. So we started the school year. Uh, CPS did a, a lot of underhanded things, tried to undermine everything that I did uh, at the to make a long story short. You had seven white teachers and a black clerk, uh, even though the school is a majority black school and it's in a black community. Ninety percent of the teachers there are white. <laughs> unfortunately. Right. So that's by design. Right. Absolutely. And these are some of the brightest students in Chicago. So the uh, seven white teachers got together with a, with a black clerk. And made and told over 83 lies that we can document that we can prove that they're lies. You know, we have it documented to the CPS law department, to the network chief. And on March 23rd, March 31st, pardon me, they removed me from the school based on the lies of these seven white teachers. And they did not provide any evidence of what they said. They just said it. And the law department went with what they said. And on March 31st, they removed me from the school. Oh, so they went with I'm white and I say so. They went with I'm white and I say so. One like, and I have the investigative report. They don't have any uh, documents. They don't have any any evidence that I did these things. It's just their word. I'm white and I say so. And because they said it, the white investigator, her name is Kelly Tarrant. Uh, the white investigator took everything that these white teachers said as facts. The only person, if you read the investigative report, the only person that she fact checked was me. She didn't fact check anybody else. Let me give you an example. Uh, one white teacher by the name of Ian Brannigan said that on December 22nd, there was the first snowstorm in Chicago, December 22nd of 2022. And so we had a lot of teachers call off that day. A lot of students were absent. That was a Friday. So uh, Ian Brannigan lies to the law department and says that when Mr. Muhammad came to school on that day, he showed up late and he didn't do anything to help the students, right? So she didn't, Kelly Tarrant in the law department didn't fact check that. 
So I fact checked it. I went and looked inside of the the swipe time, the, the times people swipe in that, you know, any investigator would do that. I swiped in on December 22nd at 746. Uh, Mr. Brannigan swiped in at 747. The law department did not fact check anything that any of these white teachers said. They took everything they said as actual facts. Well, you mentioned they had a problem with your uh, beliefs. Yes, sir. Do you have anything documented Absolutely. that says that? Absolutely. We have a, a, a teacher Facebook chat where they're in the Facebook chat talking about my religion. We have emails uh, that show that even before I got to the school, uh, they were they were uh, emailing the network chief and other people talking about my religion. We and we so that's documented. We have the uh, members of the LSC who receive phone calls from people in CPS. And on the in, in these phone calls, they're asking them, uh, why are you hiring this Muslim? So all of this is documented. All of this is evidence that we have to show that this was the cause or the root cause behind what happened at Lemon. There was other layers to it, but that was the root cause of everything. And when you mention CPS, you mean Chicago Public Chicago School. Public School. So people hear CPS, they think right. of Child Protective Service. Right, right. No, CPS, Chicago Public School. Okay. Yes. So, so, and correct me if I'm wrong. But doing that would be a violation of the Civil Rights Act. Absolutely. 19 to 64. Absolutely. Because uh, there's a clause about religion. Right. So religion is a protected category. Um, so, yeah, this is something that and, and that, that's part of what we're fighting with. That, that's not the only thing they did. That was just the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when um, and so your, your listeners understand when a principal is selected, it's, everything is in the public. So they have public meetings. They have what is called a forum, a principal forum, where they bring the candidates to the forum. Mm -hmm. And the public gets to question the parents, the teachers, the students, the community. They all ask questions of the potential candidates. I've participated in several of these. Everything is done in the public. The day of Limbloom's uh, forum, and the, the video is on their website. The day, there were two candidates. They started out with 11 candidates in the principal selection process. They narrowed it down to two, myself and another sister. The day of the principal form, the other sister drops out of the race to be the principal of Limbloom. So I'm the only candidate. I come to the forum and for two hours, I answer every question that they asked. Now, at the end of the forum, what's supposed to happen is there's supposed to be a public announcement. This is our candidate. This is who we're moving forth with. Right. But that didn't happen at the Limbloom principal forum. The moderator came to me. Her name is Ms. Wheatley. She's an LSC member. She came to me and said, well, there's something going on. We'll call you and let you know what our decision is, right? So what I didn't know at that time is that when I became the only candidate, that is when the LSC members started to get calls. And what they were telling them, uh, Mr. LaRosa, who is the network chief, uh, Ms. Latasha Williams Ford, who, walks at, who works in the office of LSC relations, they were telling the LSC members that they need to start the process over again, that they need to bring in new candidates. You can't go forward with Muhammad, right? Uh, so this was the thing that was happening behind the scenes. So if you look at that principal form, they never made an announcement. They just emailed me and said, you're the new principal. But they never made a public announcement that I would be the principal at Lemblo, as is done in every other form. Did they give you an explanation why? So at that time, I didn't know. Right. At that time, Ms. Wheatley just said there's something going on. But what we found out later, what was later revealed is that these people in CPS, Latasha Williams Ford and Mr. LaRosa and other people were trying to put pressure on the LSC to start the process over again because they did not want Abdul Muhammad to be the principal of Limbla. 
Now, you mentioned earlier that the schools are challenging. Could you give some examples of what, what was the challenges in these schools? Yes, sir. So, Brother Phil, I've been in Chicago public schools for 25 years, uh, working in predominantly black schools with our disadvantaged children. You hear, as you know, as we were talking earlier, about all the things that happen in Chicago, all, you know, the violence, the this, the that. And everybody's looking for somebody that can work with our young people and give them the knowledge they need to make better decisions. Everybody, everybody's looking for somebody to do that. That is what I've done in every school that I've been in. Every school that I've worked in, I've gone in and the school was one way. And through me being there, working with our young people, you know, of course you have to put the work in. Uh, we're able to transform not just the lives of young people, but the entire school environment. So for example, I was at a school uh, named Percy L. Julian, which is in what we call the hundreds in Chicago. And uh, that particular school, it just had a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, you had fights, you had low expectations, different things that you're going to find in an inner city school. Brother, when uh, I left that school, the fights were minimized. It wasn't zero, but it was it was a far cry from what it was. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, we, there was where you, you had parents coming up to the school uh, trying to jump on students. We eliminated that 100 percent. So wait, 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 wait. Parents coming up to the school to jump off students. Yeah, this is something that happens from time to time uh, in in cities like Chicago. Uh, but what we did, Brother Phil, is first we built relationships with the students. Right. And through the students, we built relationships with the parents, right? Mm -hmm. We built relationships with people in the community, right, uh, to prevent these things from happening. So we put in the work necessary to change what was going on uh, in the lives of uh, the children in the city of Chicago. Every school that I've worked in, this is the transformative work that I've done. Uh, I was at a school, as I shared with you earlier, uh, the name of the school is Nancy B. Jefferson. That school is located inside of the juvenile detention center. So all of the uh, children who are 17 and under who are arrested, this is where they send them, all the shooters, the killers. And there was never a time before I got there, they couldn't put the GDs and the BDs and the vice lords, the four corner hustlers and the black souls and the EBK. They couldn't put them in the same room together because it would be a confrontation. But when I went there, I built relationships with those young brothers. Eighty five percent of the people there are black boys. Mm -hmm. I built relationships with those brothers every single day. And over time, we were able to put these brothers in the same room together. Not only did we improve the culture and climate, but we also improved the academics. So we expanded the class period from 50 minutes to 75 minutes to give them more time on academics so that they could get their diploma faster, right? So we increased the graduation rate at the same time we minimized the issues with culture and climate. So that was Nancy B. Jefferson. While I was at Nancy B. Jefferson, I reached out just to show you the, the kind of work that I put in in the city of Chicago. While I was at Nancy B. Jefferson, I reached out to the producer of a play called Hamilton. Hamilton is one of the uh, greatest stage plays in the history of stage plays, right? Mm -hmm. And they come to Chicago and they would always invite the Chicago public school students to come see the play. So I got a, a, a email saying that 1,900 Chicago public school students went to go see the play Hamilton. But I met Nancy Mee Jefferson and my students are locked up. So I reached out to the producer and I asked the producer of Hamilton. I said, well, can you bring the Hamilton play to Nancy B. Jefferson? so that the students can see it because my students can't leave and come see the play, right? So I worked with that producer for two years to get them to bring one of the greatest stage plays in the history of stage plays inside the juvenile detention center so that the residents of Nancy B. Jefferson could see the play. Once they performed at Nancy B. Jefferson, 
the producer said to me, she said, uh, Mr. Muhammad, Hamilton has only left the stage twice. The first time is when we perform for Barack Obama in the White House. And the second time is when we brought it to the students of Nancy B. Jefferson. So this is the type of work that I've done with young black people, the, pe the young people in Chicago, the people who everyone says is hopeless. You can't do anything with them. Uh, in every school I've gone in, we transformed the school and we brought the academics uh, everywhere I've gone. And you mentioned earlier about the kids being in different gangs and stuff like yes. that. So over the years that you have seen, what is the reasoning why they keep joining these gangs, even though they know that it's going to either end with jail time or somebody maimed right. for the rest of their life or somebody dead? Like, why, do, why did this cycle keep happening since you've been seeing it that long? So part of the reason why that cycle keeps happening, Brother Phil, is because our children don't have hope. And when our children don't have hope, then they turn to a life of crime. So I can give you the example, and it starts right in the very educational systems that we send our children to. I can give an example that everybody can relate to. If you look at Malcolm X, when he was in eighth grade, what happened? He went to his teacher. And what did he say? He said, I want to be a lawyer. And what did Malcolm's teacher, Malcolm's white teacher, tell him? He said, uh, you'll never be a lawyer. Your own people won't hire a black lawyer, and certainly white people won't hire a black lawyer. But you work well with your hands, you should be a carpenter. What that teacher did was destroy the hopes of a young black man. And when you read the autobiography of Malcolm X, that is when Malcolm made the decision. He didn't go to the ninth grade, right? Mm -hmm. He dropped out of school at the eighth grade because that teacher destroyed his hopes and he turned to a life of crime. And if you read the autobiography of Malcolm during that time, where he was Detroit Red or Dirty Red, he lived a life of hopelessness, not caring about anybody else and not caring about himself, right? So now that is what has happened to our children, the ones that we say, so you ask, why are they in gangs? It's because somebody along the way has put a needle in the brain of that black child and destroyed their hopes. And so they turn, because they didn't start out that way. Yeah. They didn't start out in first grade, second grade, third grade, right? They were excited to go to school, right? They wanted to go to school. Like, where's my book bag? Because I want to be there. Right. But then what happens when they see the young black male child uh, exhibiting confidence, right, and wanting to be uh, greater than what white supremacy says he can be? Somewhere along the way, somebody puts a needle in the brain, and then they turn where? To a life of crime. So now this same thing happens today, Brother Phil. I've been doing this for 30 years, 25 in CPS. I've seen it. Most teachers are not going to come out and say, you'll never amount to anything. They're not going to verbally say that mm -hmm. because children today are more sophisticated. They'll go tell their parents. Right. Oh, yeah. But if you go to a school, like you have parents, your child comes home and they ask you, well, what did you learn? And your child says nothing. You think they just exaggerating. But no, that's exactly what's happening in some of these schools. So it's not that they're telling the children they won't amount to anything, but they're not teaching them anything. So what is that saying? If I'm not teaching you, what am I telling you? I'm telling you, you'll never amount to anything because if I believe that you will really amount to something, then I will be spending my time teaching you. So when you have teachers and you have a classroom full of students and the teacher's reading the newspaper, the teacher's checking the email, the teacher's not engaging with those students, the teacher's not planning effective lessons for those students, for these black babies that are in front of them, what is that teacher really saying? That teacher is saying that you will not amount to anything. They're doing the same thing that Malcolm's teacher did to him 
dashing those students' hopes by not preparing them for a future that we know is coming. Yeah, it reminds me of a story back when I was in, uh, I think, kindergarten, first, I think first grade. Mm -hmm. I had another white teacher by the name of Miss Flower. Okay. And I've always been the type of person that can really talk my way out of a whole lot of things or convince people to do a lot of things, right. too. And that teacher said to me one day, she like, you know what? You're just a little con artist. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time, like, okay. But as as I got older, I'm like... Why would you tell a kid they're a con artist? I didn't con nobody out no money. I didn't take right. nothing. You, you basically saying I'm going to be a criminal. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's, why I, that's why I tell black people all the time that it is dangerous to send our kids to public schools and let them folks teach our children Absolutely. because they don't like us like that. No, now, you may have a minority of them that, that think different, but their culture is anti-black racism. Right. Absolutely. So they bring that into the schools. So now you can go back and say, in a, how is it in a predominantly black area? Right. 90% of the teachers are white female. That's right. That's usually what it is. Yes, sir. That's done by design right. to make sure they can keep that that uh, 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 the school to prison pipeline going. Absolutely. Like you said, the white female teachers destroy the child psychologically, mentally, et cetera. They go out of the street, commit crime. There you go. You got another prisoner right. for the system. Absolutely. And, Brother Phil, I'll say this because I taught for 17 years mm -hmm. before I became an administrator. I taught. I love teaching. Teaching was my absolute passion. Mm -hmm. uh, I won the Teacher of the Year Award for the city of Chicago. I was nominated twice for the Golden Apple Award. I was featured in Who's Who among American high school teachers for five consecutive years. Mm -hmm. uh, so my, my passion was teaching, right? Mm -hmm. And I have, at this point, taught thousands of students in Chicago. And uh, the thing that I did that made them to love education and love me is that I taught them the knowledge of self. I taught them who they were. And what this did is, so I had students in my class that worked, that were in whatever gang, in every gang, whatever gang you want to name, BDs, GDs, whatever the case may be. But from being in my class, they they decided to take a different route because what I taught them gave them hope and gave them life. This is not what they want in Chicago public schools. They want, as you said, uh, a, a school to prison pipeline. They don't want somebody that can come in and destroy the pipeline as I was doing mm. in every school, not just one school, every school that I've ever been at, uh, the work that I've done has destroyed the school to prison pipeline. And I have the thousands of students that I've taught that can bear witness to the work that I've done because they're not in prison. All of them are doing something productive. You're gonna interview one today. But um, that is because of what I taught them and what I taught them gave them hope. And it only uh, uh, underlines your point that we need more educators uh, in our schools that are teaching our children who they are, and not putting a needle in their brain and destroying their hopes for the future. Yeah, because some of my greatest teachers I ever had were black teachers. Mm -hmm. Because I felt the black teachers cared more about Absolutely. me, they understood where I come from in the right. community. I can go talk to them about right. different issues. Right. But the white teachers, like, eh. like I said, I had a few here and there was okay, but they never really understood us like that. Right. You know, or let's say if some racial do pop up, mm -hmm. they always gonna feel some sort of way about it Absolutely. because even if they quote unquote not racist, they people are right, so so they gotta play that allegiance, you know, to white supremacy. So, and when, I, I'll say this to your point, brother Phil, in this situation that happened with me at Limblom, because mm -hmm. what what the what we haven't talked about is all of the underhanded things 
that these white teachers were doing. It was seven white teachers and they were doing all types of underhanded things. They had a plan and their plan was to create as many public failures as possible. So they would do all of these underhanded things, all which we documented, right? Uh, tell lies to parents, tell lies to students, try to create disruptions at public events, right? This is what these white teachers were doing, right? Um, but now, to your point, there were other white teachers that came to me and said, Mr. Muhammad, I've never seen them treat anybody like this before. But what they didn't do is they didn't speak out against their white brothers and sisters who were doing all of these underhanded things. So it's just like when our people were lynched, right? There were always some white people who didn't participate in the lynching, but they didn't do anything to stop it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and, and that's the dynamic that we're dealing with. There is an assault on any strong black male educator because they don't want that example. And when I say they, I'm talking about Chicago public school officials. We have their names. They do not want strong black male leadership in front of black children. So one thing that came out out of this whole thing that we uh, found out uh, is that 8% of the principals in Chicago public schools are black males, 8%. But there's 70% of the principals that are removed from Chicago public schools. Now, Chicago public schools lies, they'll lie to the public and say, well, 44% of our principals are black. But the Chicago public schools don't hire principals. The LSC, like the LSC hired me. But Chicago public schools did all of these underhanded tactics to get rid of the black principal that the LSC hired. So even though we have 44% uh, black principals in CPS that's hired by the LSC, CPS is using underhanded tactics to remove these principals. And it's not just me, Brother Phil. What, what my case uh, happened, what we found out is that this was happening with other principals right here in Chicago. So we have um, uh, Principal Gerald Morrow, who is the principal of Dunbar High School. Same thing happened to him. They came with charges. He doesn't even know what he's charged with, right? Mm -hmm. He's been out of his school, uh, Dunbar High School, which is on the south side of Chicago, for eight months, and they haven't even told him what he's done. Uh, Kimberly Gibson, who was the principal at Harriet Tubman, she was removed from her school under these same type of false uh, allegations. Uh, and so what we found out is that there is a concerted effort from Chicago public school officials to remove black principals, but specifically black male principals. That's not an opinion. That's an actual fact. Well, I mean, but that's been the policy of America. They don't want to show strong, straight-laced black men. Right doing anything great, Absolutely. especially for our children. Absolutely. Because if the children see, okay, I got a brother up here, you know, he's straight lazy, clean cut, right. he, he's successful, he's doing good. Well, shoot, man, maybe I could do the same thing. Absolutely. Versus, yes, sir. yeah, ver versus, you know, looking up to the local drug dealer or the right. gang on the streets, you know, and, and that's what they want. I mean, it's, 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 it's all done by design. Yes, sir. It's all designed to try to put our children into that plantation called prison. Yes. That 13th Amendment, which I wish more people would teach that right. in in all over, that 13th Amendment still allows slavery. Right. And I really believe we need a new movement to get rid of that slavery clause right. because that's what keeps them that's right. incarcerated. Because I interviewed a, a brother, uh, you know, CEO Robert Hockley, and he talked about how he picked cotton mm -hmm. in prison. Co literally right. cotton. Right. He was picking cotton right. in, in the 90s, right. but still picking cotton. And it's legal. Right. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned, Brother Phil, is about being uh, straight-laced. So when I first got to Limblow, uh, what I came... Uh, so one of the, the issues, my religion, of course, was an issue. 
But when I walked into the school, I found out that there were uh, illegal things happening, right? So, for example, we had three teachers at the school that had uh, school funds, which is black folks' money, right, in their personal bank accounts. So, exactly. Now, I got to say that, let me, let me preface what I'm saying. So, I, I'm the first principal that's been removed for doing what's right. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody who did all of these things, they're still working for Chicago Public Schools. And we have a list, Brother Phil, of the things that happened. We have documents to prove everything that we're saying. So when I get to the school, I'm new. Like, I'm the new principal of Limblo. And, you know, when you're new somewhere, you don't know everything that's going wrong or being done wrong when you walk in the door. As you're doing your job, you know, you figure things out, right? Things come to your attention and you deal with them. So uh, what I found out is that the athletic director, her name is Christina Davis. She's been the athletic director for 16 years at the school. I found out that uh, she was not turning in the money from the football games, right? And the way that I found out, a brother who's a friend of mine who's a retired athletic director, he said, well, we just had a huge homecoming game. He said, do you have the, the, uh, the financial report? I said, financial report? I didn't get any report. This was the, the fourth game of the season, right? Mm -hmm. So I reached out to Ms. Davis, and I said, well, where's the money from the football game? And uh, the first thing she said was, her and the clerk, the black clerk who worked against me, her name is Laconda McDaniel. So when I met with them, I said, well, where's the money from the homecoming game? They both said, there is no money, right? But what they didn't know, Brother Phil, is I had already reached out to the stadium director who worked, the CPS stadium director, and got the stadium receipt. So I already knew that the money hadn't been turned in. Mm -hmm. So the first thing they did was lie and say there wasn't any money. So then I pulled out the stadium report that showed that there was money collected, and I asked them again, I said, where's the money? The black clerk didn't say anything. The white athletic director, Ms. Davis, said, oh no, that's my money. Uh, I brought money to make change, so that's my money. I said, Ms. Davis, if you sold one ticket for $5, even if you brought your own bank to make change, the $5 should have been turned in. Now CPS has a policy, CPS, Chicago Public Schools has a policy that you turn in the money 24 hours after the fundraiser. Right. Uh, this this was months after the money should have been turned in. I said, Miss Davis, if you sold one ticket for five dollars, the five dollars should have been turned in. Miss mm -hmm. Davis left the office telling me that's my money. I brought my own bank. Right. That was on a Friday. She emailed me on Saturday and we have the email. And in the email, she said, I realized that I made a mistake. Right. I'll have the money on Monday. So then she comes on Monday. Right and turns the money in. This is two months after the fact. She wasn't the only one. We had other teachers that had thousands of dollars of black folks' money in uh, their personal bank accounts. And so that was one of the reasons because I was holding white teachers accountable for, for them stealing black folks' money. Mm -hmm. That was one of the reasons that Ms. Davis, who she said to a parent, a black parent, right? With a black principal, this brother has a son at the school. She met with this parent and she said to the parent that I am the ringleader of the opposition against the principal. The woman who was stealing the money is the ringleader. So rather than being grateful for still having a job, right, these people became um, oppositional, right, because they were being held accountable. So these were some of the things that were going on behind the scenes. When I came there and were holding white teachers accountable, the white teachers were upset because a black man was holding them accountable. So like I told you, there's layers to this, right? So, Mr. Can you, can you go back to what I well, I told Tyrone Muhammad this. Yes, sir. And um, and I just came to him. Two, when black people get in positions of power, there's two things you can't do. 
you can't punish white people right. and you can't help black people. Right. Now, if you've been a good sellout and didn't do anything, you still have your job today. Right. right. This is true. And I, I did both of those. I, I, I held white people accountable and, you know, I helped black people. So I, I'm guilty on both counts. Uh, I don't regret that, Brother Phil, because, um, you know, I'm not going to get in a position and not do what's right. And the thing with being in the position, if I didn't do what's right, then that's what they would have used against me because they they, they targeted me anyway. Right. right. So if I, if I wouldn't have done what's right, then they would have used that, the fact that I didn't do what was right against me. So, like I said, I'm the the as far as I know, the first principal that was removed for doing what's right. Miss Davis is still working and everybody else that was doing all of these underhanded things. Uh, they're still working for Chicago public schools and we have just scratched the surface. Uh, but this is this is what's going on here in Chicago with our children. Yeah, that's uh, man. I, that's why I don't. Even, that's why I never wanted my little girl in public school. Mm-hmm. Period. Because I I just know they they miseducate our children. They don't. The good teachers always leave, or good principals leave for whatever reason. They get fired, or they just quit. They don't pay them right. Right. You know, it, it's just so much go on, and and especially our children. I would say, you know, the my little girl started off at um, actually Nation Islam School mm-hmm. uh, in Houston, elevated places. Right. And a uh, shout out to Sister Waikiti and everything for that. Um, and then now she goes to another school, uh, still, but still black school mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but I, I just couldn't subject my ch- children to that because they, they just do anything to our children. They don't care. Absolutely. You know, so where, where are we at today with everything? So, are we in the courts or where are we at? So we're, we're making all of those motions. And I want to say this, and this is something that I definitely would love for you all to promote uh, on your channel. So we're asking people, we want to give you all the information of what's going on. Right. We want everybody to understand that it's, it's an assault on black principles, period. Not just me. I'm one of the many black principles. Uh, that they that they removed from the schools so that our children wouldn't have good leadership. So we're asking people to support in three ways. We want people to go on the website justiceforabdulmuhammad.com. On the website justiceforabdulmuhammad.com, uh, you can register for the website and also sign the petition. Right? Uh, there is a a GoFundMe on that website. So if you can donate to that GoFundMe, we definitely want people to donate to the GoFundMe. Right? And then right on the website justiceforabdulmuhammad.com, there is a link where you can email the mayor of Chicago because the mayor at the end of the day is the ultimate decision maker when it comes to Chicago public schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the decision maker. So you can send the email directly to the mayor. All you have to do is click on the, uh, his name. The email is going to populate and you click send. You don't have to type anything. It's, it's all right there. So this, this is some of the things that we're asking people to do. Go on justiceforabdulmuhammad.com, uh, register, Sign the petition, donate if you can, but then right from that website, uh, you can send an email uh, to the mayor. And the website gives you a lot of the background information as well as some of the videos that are related to this case. So as you may know, we have Attorney Crump that's working with us. Uh, So Attorney Crump, uh, he was here for our press conference on July 6th, but we've also been meeting with his team uh, weekly, uh, just, you know, making the progress and making connections to push things forward, right? Uh, of course, we do have uh, a team of lawyers like the brother who is over the principals union. His name is Troy LaRabier. Mm-hmm. So he has uh, lawyers within uh, his organization, the principals union, as well as other lawyers uh, that we're working with individually uh, with Attorney Crump. So we're uh, pushing forward with on the legal side, but we're also pushing forward as far as informing the public, uh, letting the public know uh, what's going on. So we have uh, quite a few videos on YouTube. They kind of break down what's going on with black principles uh, in the city of Chicago. 
Okay, what YouTube channel is on? Uh, it's on uh, the principal union president. His name is Troy LaRabia. It's on his channel. And I can share the links with you, and so you'll have those links for all of that. In fact, I think they're in the email that I gave you earlier. I would say, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you click, go and check out all of that. Go to website, justiceforabdulmuhammad.com. Uh, uh, people in Chicago, get involved in your public school system because these people, this is why they mess our kids up. You want to know why we, they get into degeneracy? A lot of times it comes from those schools. So, you know, help our brother here, you know, with his situation because he's only one of many. We know this. So, the brother Abdul, you know, thank you very much for joining us today and give us all the information that we need to know because okay. maybe because people in Chicago do watch this platform. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that way they can know what's going on because sometimes they may say, I didn't even know that happened. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm glad you came by and told us. Yes, sir. Thank you. And I thank you for your time, my brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.